0: Hello, and welcome to Harlan First and Monroe Chapel United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew, and it's great to have you listening to the sermons this way. You know, I just love the Christmas season, don't you? I mean, it's so joyful and celebratory. It's a season of love, joy, peace, and hope. And when I think of Christmas, one of the songs that I think of is the The one that says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You may be wondering why I'm talking about Christmas. And yes, I know it's not the Christmas season. Although this is probably the first time that I've ever started out a Good Friday sermon by saying, don't you just love Christmas? But there are some similarities between the Advent and Christmas season and the Lent and Easter season. In many ways, they're both celebratory. Christmas is something to celebrate in the midst of the beginning of winter. And Lent and Easter is a journey that brings us from the end of winter into the beginning of spring. And at Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, the reason we celebrate the birth of Christ is because of his resurrection that we celebrate at Easter time. So these holidays are connected in many ways. And yet they're very different as well, aren't they? Lent, and especially Holy Week, it doesn't have the same feeling as Christmas, does it? It doesn't have that same celebratory feeling until we get to Easter, and then it does. But Holy Week in particular brings us through a wide range of emotions as we look at the clash of priorities and misunderstandings that occur on Palm Sunday, to the Last Supper that Jesus has with his disciples before Judas betrays him. He's brought to trial. He's tortured, humiliated, and crucified on the cross, as we remember on Good Friday. Yes, there are a wide range of emotions, and it's always interesting because we think of this as being a good day, and yet when we think about what happened on this day, It seems like it's anything but good. And so I've titled this sermon, The Most Wonderful Worst Time of the Year, because in many ways it's both. So how is it that this day is bad when we call it good? And what way is this day good when obviously it seems bad? We're going to look at both of these. First, we're going to look at why this day is bad, And then we're going to look at why this day is considered good. So first of all, when we think about why this day is bad, the answer should be obvious. If you have seen any depictions, and during this time of year we see them quite often in our culture, in churches, and even in our social media, you may see depictions of Jesus' suffering Sometimes you might see a bloodied Jesus or even a dead Jesus uh, hanging on a cross or otherwise. And so those images alone should tell us that this is a very bad day. Any day where there is the senseless torture, humiliation, and death of human being is a bad day. And especially when we consider that this particular human being is the Son of God. There's nothing good about that. There's nothing good about the death of an innocent person. And what we have here on this day is yet another example of many examples throughout human history of what happens when religion colludes with the state to put an innocent person to death and to justify killing. This has happened many times in history as, as we do. And if you look at Church history in particular, I think that what you'll find is that the church was usually at its best and most inspiring when it was not connected or aligned with the state in any way. In fact, some of the most inspiring moments and moments of greatest growth in the history of the church is when the church was an enemy of the state and endured persecution. Not that we want to have to endure persecution, but that's just a reality. It's just the fact of of church history. In some of the most embarrassing, most difficult times in the history of the church has been when the church has been in alignment or in an alliance with the state and has used the state's power and influence to exact its agenda on the world, oftentimes using the methods of the state, which include violence and death. You know, you would think that the state, You know, it would be a good thing to be in alignment with the state because it gives the church a lot of resources, a lot of power and a lot of ability to influence the world for the better. But but what happens every time is that just as in the Old Testament, you know how the Hebrew people, the Israelites, they would be ensnared by the idols of the surrounding neighbors and they would be pulled in and start worshiping those idols. Well, in the same way, I think that what happens is that when the church becomes aligned with the state, it inevitably becomes pulled in by the allure or the temptation of power and influence. And what happens is that the church then justifies all kinds of unchristlike behavior that the state might engage in and almost turns its head the other way and is okay with it as long as the church is able to keep its power and influence in the world. And I think that that's that's one thing that happened here. Now, in Jesus' day, of course, it wasn't the church, it was the synagogue, and it was the Jewish faith, which is the faith of Jesus. And they were hardly in alignment with the state. I mean, the Jewish people were not on friendly terms with the Roman government by any means. And yet they worked together in a way to put Jesus to death. But the death of an innocent person is a horrible thing. Now, there have been some people who have said that this day is good because Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to die on the cross. It was all a part of God's plan from the very beginning. He had to die on the cross uh, so that God could forgive us. And that by dying on the cross, Jesus actually changes God's view of us. Whereas before, God couldn't stand us because of our sin and he couldn't have anything to do with us and couldn't forgive us. After Jesus died on the cross, then God can look us at us favorably because instead of seeing us, he sees Jesus, and therefore he can forgive us. So Jesus' death on the cross then changes God the Father in a very significant way. And so that's one reason that's been said that this day is good. But if we really think about that, and, and we, especially if we take that literally, it doesn't really make sense. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a moment. But again, I want to emphasize that this day is bad. And we are meant to sit in the grief of this day. Look at what we did to the Son of God. You know, it's almost as if when Jesus is, was dying on the cross, he's holding up a giant mirror that we are meant to look at and we are meant to see in, our, in the reflection the worst of human sin. We are meant to see ourselves at our worst. And I know you can look at history and say there are plenty of things that were technically worse than the death of one person. I understand that. But in many ways, this is pivotal because this is the death of the Son of God. The Son of God came into the world and look what we did. And so we see, in a way, the worst of human sin reflected back on us. So this is a somber day indeed. But yet, we do call this Good Friday. And why do we call it good? Well, I want to come back to what I just mentioned a minute ago, You know, that belief that many people have that Jesus somehow changes God the Father's stance towards us, and that he had to die on the cross in order for God to be able to forgive us or have anything to do with us. And it's one way, that is one way of understanding the cross, maybe not the most helpful way, and it certainly doesn't really make sense of what we believe about God. First of all, it is a negative stereotype of Judaism to believe that God could not forgive any sin until Jesus came. The Jewish faith never, Jews never believed that. They never believed that God couldn't forgive them. They didn't believe that they had to somehow follow the law perfectly or that the law was even impossible to follow. Uh, they believed that the law was perfect. <laughs> I shouldn't say perfectly, but they believed that the law was could be followed by people. Even though they were imperfect people, they could follow the law, and when they messed up, God forgave them. And when we look at the Old Testament, we can see plenty of examples of God freely forgiving sin. He did not need Jesus to die on the cross to forgive sin. As I said, that's a negative stereotype of Judaism and an oversimplification of Scripture. Now, Jesus' death was not required To allow God to forgive us. Here's the thing. One of the main basic beliefs that we have about God. Excuse me. One of the main basic beliefs we have about God. Is that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? God doesn't change. And so, God doesn't change. And Jesus, during his ministry said that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He also said, I and the Father are one. In another instance, he says that he only came to do and to say what the Father tells him. And so what this tells us is that God is like Jesus. Or there's a saying that Brian Zond, the pastor of the Word of Life Church in St. Joe, Missouri, is fond of saying. He says, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There was never a time when God was not like Jesus. We didn't used to know this, but now we do. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and Jesus says, I and the Father are one, and when, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that means that God has always been like Jesus. God has always been capable of forgiving. Forgiveness does not require a penalty, and it certainly doesn't require the penalty of an innocent person who didn't even do anything wrong. That's not forgiveness, and that's not justice. No, the reality is the crucifixion happened not because it had to happen as a part of God's plan so that he could forgive us. The crucifixion happened because humans are sinful. The crucifixion happened because what else was going to happen? Jesus knew he was going to be crucified, partially because I think he, he knew the future, but also because what would you think would happen if somebody like Jesus came into the world in those days and did what he did? Of course it was going to result in crucifixion. But here's the thing. When Jesus was crucified, you would think that he would respond with revenge. I mean, you would think that God would respond with revenge. I've heard it said, we've sinned, we sinned our sins into him on the cross. And you would think that God would respond by smiting everybody involved. You know, just kill those sinners. I mean, that's how we see God depicted so often in the Old Testament, isn't it? When people do anything to possibly shame him, he's like, kill them all. You know, Uh, I mean, people were depicted as being killed by God in the Old Testament for doing a census, for crying out loud. And here we have people crucify his son. So you would think that God would respond By killing them all. Kill those sinners. And that's not how God responded. How, How did God respond? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. Remember, especially as you look at some of those Old Testament scriptures, scriptures where God is depicted as killing sinners for just simply shaming him. Remember that God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time that God has not been like Jesus. We didn't used to know this, but now we do. God's response is forgiving those who crucified him. It's like we've sinned our sins into Jesus and he responded with forgiveness. He absorbed the world's sin and responded with forgiveness. And that's because All of our sin, the worst of our sin, doesn't stand a chance against God's grace. And it also teaches us that God's primary stance when it comes to sin is not judgment, but forgiveness. Always has been, always will be. And so, when we look at what is good about the cross, I think that what is good is that when we see it, we see God most clearly. Yes, it's a tragedy, but God uses tragedies for good. God doesn't cause tragedies to happen, but he can use them for good. And I think that God used the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as a way to say, look at how much I love you. I would rather die than kill you. We see God most clearly when we see Jesus on the cross. Paul once said that he had resolved to know nothing but Christ crucified. That's saying a lot for Paul, being a Jewish student and a follower of the law. Now, he probably didn't mean it literally that he wasn't going to know anything. I mean, he was still a Jew. But what he's saying is this is most important because we see God most clearly when we see him on the cross. He shows us the depths of his love and the depths of his forgiveness for us. And that is a good thing. Of course, Good Friday is also good because we know that it's not the end of the story. On Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and his victory over sin and hell and death. And we remember that the cross is not the end of the story. You know, we've been talking about living the Jesus way throughout this season of Lent and it's a hard way. It's a hard path. It's a narrow way because not many people want to take it because look at where it ends up. It ends up with Christ crucified to a cross. What a horrible thing. And many of us, we don't like the idea of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following in there. But we also remember that living the Jesus way may take us to a cross, but it never ends there. And I don't know what you might be going through. But it could be that you're feeling as though you have been led to a cross in your life. And you may feel as though this is just where it ends. That you're never going to get away from it. That your life ends with a cross. And if so, I just want to encourage you to remember that the story never ends at a cross. But when we follow Jesus, it always leads to something more. Because whenever there's a cross, there's always a resurrection nearby. Amen.